I really want to preach to you today, but, but there's, this, there's this part of me in this particular area of Scripture that I, almost, I feel almost more like I just need to talk to you. I might preach a little bit. It just gets up in there, you know, it gets in there. But, I'll, but, I'll, but I feel led to just really, this is, a, this is kind of a family kind of thing that, that when we get to this part of Scripture. Last week we read John chapter 17, verse 1 through 5. And G, I'm going to read that portion of Scripture again. Jesus prayed in the third person. He prayed as though he were standing over his earthly life looking at it. And he prayed, that guy did what he was supposed to do. We identified that last week. So let's read those passages. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, that your son may also glorify you. For you have given him authority over all flesh. This is where he's praying over himself. But he says, you have given him authority over all flesh, that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And he says in verse 3, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Then he flips to first-person prayer. I have glorified you on earth. That guy did what he was supposed to do. I have glorified you on earth. I finished the work which you have sent me to do. Now, Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you from before the world was. I'd love to talk to you about that again. I feel like there was more to be said about that, but I would just encourage you to go to the website and listen to the podcast and and review that teaching there and then go dig on your own and get some more out of it because there's a lot more in there than we had time to cover last week. I want to talk to you this week about verse 3, only verse 3. One thing we didn't get to last week, I just said to you that Jesus shared the message of the gospel or the motivating force behind the gospel, the reason for the gospel, Jesus shared it in the middle of this prayer. In verse 3, he says this, and this is eternal life. This is one of those obscure things that we'll just blow through and never think about unless we stop and think about it. So today we stop and think about it. This is eternal life, that they may know you the only true God, and that they may know Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they may know you, essentially, Jesus was saying, that they may know you and that they may know me. This is eternal life. Now, how many of y'all define eternal life as uh, the guy who lived forever, right? Jesus didn't say that was eternal life because there are some folks who have eternal life as far as living goes, and Scripture refers to it as eternal damnation or eternal separation from God. There's a whole lot of eternity that is not this. But Jesus said, this is eternal life, that they may know you and that they may know me, the one that you sent to redeem them. This is eternal life. I really think we ought to define, if we'd lead a lot more people to Jesus if we would define eternity the way Jesus defined eternity. This is eternal life, that they may know you. One of the mistakes that, oh, I'm going to talk now, okay? 
One of the mistakes that we make in, in evangelistic thrust in this country is that we lead people to Jesus in the context of praying for the forgiveness of sin, but we don't disciple them to know him. This is why I'm so excited about what's going on at Awani and what we're doing as a church in our neighborhood because we need to reach people. We actually have the opportunity to disciple. We need to lead people to Jesus and then show them how to walk with him. The Apostle Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. Come and walk with me and follow my example." Walk with God the way I walk with God. Well, there's a whole period of my life I would have never said that. Because I wasn't walking with God the way that I needed to walk with God, much less being in a position to lead others to walk with God. But today I will tell you, come and walk with me. I will show you how to walk with God. I know him and I will show you how to know him. I love him, and I will show you how to love him. And he loves me, and I will show you how to position yourself to be a recipient of the love of God. It's one thing to know that he loves you. It's a whole other thing to be in a love relationship with him. See why I needed to talk to you? This isn't preaching. This is, this is pastor talking to you. Listen, Jesus said that they may know you. This is eternal life. This is the value of eternal life. This is why God did all of this. Let me help you with that. The entire reason that all of this happened, including Adam and Eve and the problem, the failure in the Garden of Eden, the sin. We all get mad at Adam and Eve, but, but God knew and prepared. The Bible says in advance of that, he knew that they were going to fail and he made a way of restoration. He knew ahead of time that they couldn't handle the responsibility of being told no. How many like to be told no? How come in the heart of mankind, the very thing that you are told that you cannot have, you will by nature run after? That's what Adam and Eve did. God knew that. He knew that in our lives, the very thing that we are told that we should not do or that we cannot do is the very thing that we hunger and desire and, and push toward. And so he says, let me help you with that. So he... Gave Jesus, made a way of escape, made a way, the Bible says, where there seemed to be no way. So the entire reason that the Father set all of this up was because he wanted a relationship with you. Listen, all the way back in Genesis, let, let me just, I'll just read this. You don't have to look there, or you can, Genesis 3, 8. But listen, this is what happened after Adam and Eve sinned. There was a brief moment after they sinned, and God comes to have a conversation with them. In, in the eighth verse of Genesis chapter 3, it says, They heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool afternoon breeze of the day. So the man and his wife hid, and they kept themselves hidden from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. First of all, that tells you human nature. The minute 
that I feel like I've done something that isn't pleasing to the Lord, it is my nature to want to hide from him. Well, you can't hide from him. He knows where you are. But the reality of it is in your own mind, you distance yourself from him because you feel a sense of condemnation or that you would receive rejection from him. How many understand that in Adam and Eve's sin, God came looking for them? Would you receive that as a word from God? How much more scripture do we need to receive? We're in Genesis chapter 3, and God came looking for them. I'm so excited about that right there. God came looking for them. So they hide from him. But he doesn't just look for them, so he calls to them. Isn't that beautiful? He came looking for them. They hid among the trees. They're like, I know. Ooh, here he comes. He's going to see us. Oh, no, we've messed up. He, I don't want him to see me like this. <laughs> Naked, yes. But the Lord God called to Adam in verse 9 and said to him, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you walking in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And the conversation goes on that the Lord says to him, who told you that you were naked and so on. God came to fellowship with Adam and Eve in the cool of the day. This is stated in Scripture in a way that one would surmise that it was God's custom to often come to commune with Adam and Eve, to fellowship with Adam and Eve, perhaps even every day. He came in the cool of the day. It's clear that Adam and Eve knew to expect him. The scripture helps us understand that Adam and Eve knew to expect him because they covered themselves and hid themselves before he came. They were prepared for his arrival. They had sewn fig leaves together to hide their nakedness, and they were, they were discussing among, among themselves, what are we going to do when he comes? Well, we need to cover ourselves, and we need to hide. So it was in their mind a very normal experience for God to come and sit with them and visit with them. How much more, now that we have experienced the cross and the grace of God and the forgiveness of sin, that it should be normal in our mind for God to come in and sit with us and talk with us. Why is it that people in our generation say, have you, you, you talked to God? What's even more strange whenever they say that to me is, yes, I talk to God and he talks to me. He and I have one-on-one -on -one conversation. I talk to him about the challenges of life. I talk to him about the things I love. I talk to him about the things I don't like. I even talk to him about the things in his word I don't like. I've told you all that before. We won't go down that road right now. There's things in there that puzzle me, and I tell him, this doesn't make sense to me. He's like, that's all right. I didn't ask your permission when I said it. But we have long conversations. I talk to him about my kids. Oh, the things he tells me about my kids. Can I tell the story? I'm going to tell the story, Rachel. I'm going to tell Rachel. Rachel was interested in before Chris. 
she was working at Starbucks and she was interested in this young man and, and we began to get just wind of the fact that she was interested in this young man. Well, always before, whenever she was interested in someone, they were over to dinner, they were over the house, you know, if there was someone she was in, 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 in friendship with or relationship with in any level, they were over at the house. Well, this guy was never over. I never met him. I still haven't met him. Don't want to meet him now. But anyway, she didn't tell me about him, and, 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 but we could see that there was this interest in this relationship with this guy. And uh, I'm like, okay, Lord, if she hasn't told me about him, you tell me about him. This is all the Lord says to me. He's just passing through. <laughs> He's temporary. So I go to Rachel, and I say, Rachel, there's this guy in your life and, and, uh, that you're... That you're um, interested in the, in the idea of, of, of this guy at work, and, and you've never told me about him or introduced me to him, so since I couldn't ask you about him, I had to ask the Lord about him. And the Lord said to me that he's temporary in your life, he's just passing through. So why are you investing time in a guy who's just passing through? She goes, oh, okay. That's over. Because Rachel was always submitted to, to the, the word of the Lord and to the uh, the care of her parents and all that kind of stuff. She was never rebellious against those structures in her life. That Whenever the Lord said, he's just passing through, she goes, oh, you're just passing through. You're out of here, Jack. His name wasn't Jack, was it? I don't know what his name was. But anyway, God will talk to you about your stuff. He came to Adam and Eve in the cool of the day to talk to them about their life, to talk to them about their labor, to talk to them and to exchange with them his heart of love for them. He created them in his image. He wanted to hang out with them. He created you in his image. He wants to hang out with you. Isn't that beautiful? So anyway, all of this came about by relationship, so our desire for relationship in the heart of God to have a relationship with you. He wants to talk to you about the things you don't want to talk about. He wants to talk to you about the things you would never come and talk to me about. Y'all are laughing. Some of y'all are going, yeah, I'd never talk to Pastor about that. <laughs> hey, I've heard just about all. You ain't going to tell me anything that wouldn't, would surprise me, but because I've been around this a long time. God loves you right where you're at. So Jesus said, Two priorities that produce the eternity that we're aiming for. This is eternal life. That they know you. Now, I want to challenge you in relationship to the Father. Some of y'all have had great relationship with your Father, and some of you had no relationship with your Father and everything in between. That's neither here nor there. The reality of it is the Father's reaching for you. So Jesus says, this is eternal life, that they may know you. I want to challenge you this morning that there's a difference between coming to God and asking him to forgive you of your sin and going through the, the religious activity around that. How many understand there's, there's activity around that? There's appropriate activity around that. You can, you can learn to serve in the church. You can learn to give uh, and tithe and, and be invested in the kingdom. You can learn even to preach and share the gospel and, and live a life absent a relationship with your father. You need to have a relationship with your father. So I'm going to teach this backwards because I'm talking to you about to know the father. 
when Jesus was in the earth, John chapter 1, verse 11 through 13, we read this before. He came to his own, and his own did not receive him. But as many as received him, it was those that he empowered to become the sons of God. To me, to, to, so the first step to knowing him is receiving Jesus. To as many as received him, the, those that received him, he empowered to become the sons of God. You know what that tells me? You can receive Jesus and not become, not begin to, you're all children of God. Please don't misunderstand this. That's a very general statement. We are all sons and daughters of God, and we receive Jesus. We are his children. He loves you. But you can live in a place of servitude. You can live in a place of frustration. You can live in a place of distance and never become in your thought life, in your attitude, and your thinking, sons of God. Daughters of God. To as many as received him, he empowered them to become the sons of God. He equipped them to become the sons of God. He gave them everything they needed for sonship. But the indication there is, if he gives you everything you need for sonship, the indication there is that some will take advantage of it and others will not. Some will take advantage of their sonship and others will just say, just as long as I don't go to hell, just as long as I, just long as I make heaven, it's good enough for me. Well, you know what? I can't teach all that today, and I would love to get into all that, but there's so much more to a relationship with God than, than, than just getting into eternity. I don't want anyone to not make heaven. God is long-suffering, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. It's the Father. So he wants us all to get in. That's a given. But on the way in, he wants a relationship with you. He wants a father-son, father-child, father-daughter relationship with you. Romans 8, I'm just giving you stuff to think about. We can't teach through all this. I just want you to hear it. Romans 8, verse 14 through 17 says this, For as many as are led by the Spirit, they are the sons of God. For you've not received a spirit of bondage again into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption. Whereby we cry, Abba, Father, which literally is interpreted Daddy. Abba is Daddy. Daddy. How many of y'all have had a conversation with God lately and you said, Dad? Daddy, I'd like to talk with you. Daddy, could, could I come and sit with you a while? Most of the time we don't think in those terms. We, we, we're much more religious than all that and definitely more spiritual than all that. But yet the scripture says he's given you a spirit of adoption. In other words, in his mind, he's brought you in. In his mind, he's brought you in. Now what's going on in your mind? Have you come in? 
Are you having daddy conversations with God? Isn't that wonderful? The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. And if children and heirs, heirs of God, joint heirs with Christ. Well, I'm going to tell you something. In the natural, in the, in the natural, let me just be very honest with you. My father worked very hard all of his life. Never acquired much in terms of natural possessions. So in the natural, we were really happy that it was enough to take care of final expenses and all that. It was just really great. You know, we're like, oh, he did that. He got that accomplished. But there was, nobody said, well, when's the will being read? Because uh, that wasn't part of his paradigm. And so in the natural, it would seem that there was not a great inheritance. But in the things of God... I learned from him what to expect, and I understand what this says when the scripture says we are heirs and joint heirs because I received an inheritance. I have a spiritual foundation in my life that is amazing because of a man of God who lived his life and knew God knew God intimately. So I received an inheritance. So when the scripture says that we are heirs and that we are joint heirs, when the scripture says that we are heirs, we need to begin to think like we're heirs. Oh, you ought to just study that out a little bit. You ought to just go dig that out. Go look at what it means to be an heir of the guy who owns it all. You think you want to win the lottery? When, when your father said, oh, I'm going to get, I, I'm, thank God we're just talking. I would that you have all sufficiency in all things. Can you all define all for me? What does all mean? So when the father says over his kids, uh, it's my desire that you have all sufficiency in all things, that my father is saying, I don't want you to lack any good thing that you need for life and for godliness. That's what the Bible says. You'd know the father. You'd know him that way that you would know him in a way that you could lay a need before him and that you could trust him for it and that you wouldn't get upset if he didn't meet your deadline. How many, oh, you put, oh, you put God in a box. You put, him in a, you put him in an expectation box. And when he don't meet your expectation and you go walking in disappointment and unbelief later, like, well, he didn't meet me that time. He didn't show up when I told him I needed it. I, 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 I. Oh, stop. I'm glad we're just talking. Galatians 4, 6 through 9 says, Because you are sons, God has sent you forth the spirit of his son into your hearts. The spirit of Christ 
in your heart because you're a son and a daughter of God. The Spirit of Christ in you. God has sent the Spirit into you because you're his child. I'm so lonely. God has sent his Spirit into you. The Spirit of Christ, the one who said, I'll never leave you, I'll never forsake you, you are not alone. Those of you, I'm going I'm to just give you some pastor-parent wisdom right here. If you are a single mom, single dad, raising children, stop telling your sons and daughters that they are fatherless. Stop that. I break that lie off of their life right now. You will create, uh, you will create wounds in them that they, will, that they will spend a life trying to sort out. Stop telling them they're fatherless. Teach them to have a conversation with their father. Stop it right now. I don't know who that's for, but you got to stop. you got to stop telling your grandchildren. And, and don't raise kids like, oh, poor kids. They, the, the playing field just wasn't level for them. Stop that stuff in the name of Jesus. Stop. Playing field hasn't been level for anybody yet. Take up your cross. Jesus, help us. It's so important. Now, let's see. Ephesians 1 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundations of the world, that we would be holy and without blame before him in love, he has predestined us to the adoption as sons. Before you got here, he decided to adopt you. Before you arrived, he already decided, That kid's mine. I love that. I love that. I love that. I'm jazzed about that. Listen, if you're in this room and you're under the sound of my voice, that applies to you. There are people who will sit and they'll go, well, that's good for so-and-so and this one over here and that one over there, but that probably doesn't apply to me. Will you quit lying to yourself? It's one thing for, for uh, the enemy to come and lie to you, but it's a whole other thing for you to sit there and just lie to yourself. Stop it. You're his. He predetermined from before you were born to extend to you the opportunity to be the adopted, the accepted among the brethren. Then Jesus says this. Father, to know them, to, to eternity is for them to know you and then for them to know me. Now, the way you start to know him, I've already said this, I'm going to say it again. The way you start to know him is by knowing Jesus. The first scripture we read, he gave you the power to become sons. To those that received him, he empowered them to become the sons of God. Now, I want to just talk to you a little bit about knowing Jesus. To know the Son is to know how to get to, to know the Father. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse 9, If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. 
Now, I have I, I'm from a family of, of six kids, and uh, my younger brother, Rodney, you guys don't, most of you don't know him. He lives in Oklahoma now. When you look at him, he looks like my father. When you have conversations with him, he has the same stubbornness that my father had. When he makes a decision, you're not changing his mind. And you're just going, oh, my God, Dad lives on. He's such a comfort to my mother. He lives with my mother, and uh, he's such a comfort to my mother because it's almost like Dad's there. It's just really weird. He sounds like him, but all of my siblings, the older we get, the more I can look in their face and I can see the face of my father, or I can see resemblances of my mother particularly more as we get older in personality than in physical structure. I see their personalities. I say things, and I'm like, oh, God, that's my dad. I say, I hear things, I'm like, oh, oh Lord, that, that's something my mother would have said. I think things, I think I'm not saying that. That's just like mom or just like dad. I'm not, I'm not repeating that. Then there's other things I say, and I say, man, I wish I'd have thought of that, but my dad did, or my mom did. Jesus was able to say, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. The goal of life as a believer is for you and I, listen, it, it should be one of your purposes and one of your desires to get to the point in your life that you can say to others, if you look at me, you will see Jesus. If you look at me, you will see the Father. I have a cousin who is, knows the Lord, and, and when we were growing up, he wasn't raised to know the Lord, and, and uh, he, he didn't spend time going to church. His, his, his whole frame of reference for his life, his mom was married several times, and there were some guys that weren't very nice, and all those kinds of things happened in his life. And, 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 and he grew up, and he went to work, and he, he built a life, and, and he has this amazing stability in his life that you wouldn't think would come out of the life that he lived. And I had a conversation with him, and I said, what's different about you? Because his sisters didn't, things didn't go that way for them. I said, why is it different with you? And this is what he said. He said, once a sum, once a week, one week every summer, I came and stayed at your house. I don't remember this. I don't remember this. I remember him being around a lot, but I don't remember him staying for a week at a time. He said, I'd come and I'd stay at your house for a week and I'd watch the way your father treated you. And I thought, when I grow up, that's what I want. He got that from one week a summer for maybe three or four summers in a row, whatever. He remembers it, I think, more than it actually happened. He remembers being in our home and seeing the expression of a loving father. My father was not an easy father. He was pretty stern, but he said, I saw the love of God in your house, the way your parents loved you, the way they ran their house, the way, that, the way that they lived their life. And he said, I tried my best with all the understanding that I could muster to go and duplicate that in my life because I didn't want what I had. You and I need to be the kind of people that can say to others, if you'll look at me, you'll see Jesus. 
If you'll walk with me, you'll experience Jesus. If you've seen me, you've seen him. I'm challenging you this morning. I know that's, I feel that going into your life as a challenge. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said, and this will be our closing scripture, I think. Philippians chapter 3 and verse 7 says, but what it, Paul said this, but whatever gain I had, listen, wealthy man, listen, we're talking about the Apostle Paul. Wealthy man, extremely educated man. Educated in the best schools of Rome. Highly educated, probably multilingual. I'm sure he spoke several languages. Extremely educated, extremely successful, extremely sought after. When Before he knew Christ, he was headed for a political career like no other. Extremely well-known, highly successful guy. This is what he says about all of that, education and money and life and whatever I had, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Because when he came to Christ, he lost all of his status. He lost his money. He lost his standing in the community. He lost all of those political relationships. All of his political future was gone. All that the Apostle Paul had was the opportunity to preach Jesus. He said, I count it loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss. Because of the, listen to these words, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus. He didn't say of receiving him, of receiving grace, of receiving the forgiveness of sin. He said of knowing him of being in a communicative, interactive, wholesome relationship with him. I count everything that's behind me as lost, as worthless, in contrast to the surpassing wonder of knowing him. He said, knowing him is everything to me. He said, I have suffered the loss of all things. Imagine. Some of you have experienced the loss of homes, loss of cars. You've seen economic crashes. You've lost jobs. You've, you've wondered how you were going to start over. You've experienced all those things. And the Apostle Paul was that guy who had lost everything. But he lost it because he came to Jesus. And he said, I just count it rubbish. It's all trash in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. In verse 10, he says, that I may know him, listen to this, in the power of his resurrection, in sharing in his sufferings. He says, the things that I suffer, I'm just like, well, he suffered for me. I can suffer for him. That's how he took it. Well, he went to the cross for me. I can endure a prison term for him. 
He went to the cross for me, so I got beat a couple times. Well, he took 39 stripes. I can do this. To know him. To know what he suffered. To know what he experienced. To know him in his suffering. To know him in the likeness of his death so that I can attain unto his resurrection. I want to know every detail of what he experienced in my behalf. I'm willing to go through anything that he went through in my behalf just so that I can identify with him. If I can identify with him, if I can know him, if I can be in a relationship with him. Jesus said, that's eternal life. That is eternal life. I want to challenge you this morning as you stand together that what we are reaching for is that kind of eternal life. Eternity starts now knowing Him. I challenge you. Stand together this morning. Father, that we may know You. Jesus, Jesus' prayer. Prayer teams are coming. Jesus' prayer pointed us to knowing You. Jesus' prayer pointed us to knowing Him. Can we no longer be the people who are, who are simply churchgoers? Meeting gatherers? Oh, that we would know You intimately. That we would move in our life from wherever it is that we've been to the place of conversations with you. Deep, intimate, promising, healthy, uplifting, healing, restorative conversations with you. We call those things now in Jesus' name.